your daily dose of debate, breaking news, and uncensored views. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. And in this great nation, there are very few things of which you can stand accused that are more hateful, less acceptable, more un-American than religious prejudice. This is a country which, as a matter of pride, ever since George Washington and writing letters to congregations of different kinds, and Thomas Jefferson, the same thing. The idea of the United States as a haven from religious uh, hatred, religious resentment, religious bigotry, that has been an important part of what this republic is. And right now, in a congressional committee that has been taking testimony all morning from the Attorney General of the United States, the Honorable Merrick Garland, who, by the way, for years was a appellate judge. Uh, remember, he was appointed to the Supreme Court by President Obama, but that appointment was delayed, and instead it went to uh, to. Um, uh, Brett, uh, Gorsuch, Neil Gorsuch. In any event, the point about uh, uh, Merrick Garland, the Attorney General, is he just blew up today uh, during this committee hearing because he was accused of religious prejudice. Uh, is the accusation fair that uh, Merrick Garland has been out to get Catholics? that his department has shown Catholic, anti-Catholic prejudice. That is what a former Democratic congressman turned Republican uh, said this morning uh, that provoked a, a very heated exchange. Uh, 1-800-955-1776 is our phone number. We will get to that. We also are going to be speaking later with Michael Rubin about what is going on about the U.S. and Iran uh, drifting toward reconciliation or drifting toward war. And then uh, the auto strike. Is the auto strike a death knell for Bidenomics? There's a claim in the Wall Street Journal that it is. We'll also be talking to Peter Coy about that. And uh, then uh, a, a series of conclusions by leading Democratic analysts about how Biden is losing the Latino vote. We're going to be speaking to Ruben Navarrete about that later in the show. Okay, first of all, Merrick Garland uh, began his testimony this morning, the Attorney General of the United States, with a an opening statement. And uh, the opening statement was meant to absolve the Justice Department of some of the accusations that have been made about the way that Merrick Garland is running it, accusations that suggest that there are different standards based upon your partisan political orientation. Uh, here is what Attorney General Garland had to say about that, clip 12. And our job is to uphold the rule of law. That means we apply the same laws to everyone. There is not one set of laws for the powerful and another for the powerless, one for the rich and another for the poor, one for Democrats and another for Republicans, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity or religion. Okay, and then he went on 
to tell a moving story about his own family background. This is clip 10. The Justice Department's job then and now is to fulfill the promise that it is at the foundation of our democracy, that the law will treat each of us alike. That promise is also why I am here. My family fled religious persecution in Eastern Europe at the start of the 20th century. My grandmother, who was one of five children, born in what is now Belarus, made it to the United States, as did two of her siblings. The other two did not. Those two were killed in the Holocaust. And there is little doubt that but for America, the same thing would have happened to my grandmother. But this country took her in, and under the protection of our laws, she was able to live without fear of persecution. That protection is what distinguishes this country from so many others. The protection of law, the rule of law, is the foundation of our system of government. Repaying this country for the debt my family owes, for our very lives, has been the focus of my entire professional career. Okay, and uh, after that moving speech, uh, he was uh, taken on by Congressman Jeff Van Drew. Jeff Van Drew was elected to the Congress of the United States as a Democrat from New Jersey, from New Jersey's 2nd District. And uh, he uh, opposed the first impeachment of Donald Trump. So he left the Democratic Party. He became a Republican, and uh, then he was reelected as a Republican in 2020. Um, and Jeff Van Drew had this to say, which got a an extremely heated response from Attorney General Merrick Garland. Listen, standing up for the their proper education of their own children. I hold you accountable for the anti-Catholic memo. Imagine sending agents undercover into Roman Catholic churches because they were supposedly domestic terrorists. And I hold you accountable for unleashing a special counsel with a history of botched investigations on our current president's political rival. The department of, under your leadership, I am sorry to say, and I am sorry to say, has become an enforcement arm of the Democratic National Committee. If there is a perceived threat to the Democratic Party, the Democratic Party, this DOJ attacks every single time. But when there are actionable threats against conservatives, this DOJ stays put. Protesters outside, violent protesters outside the Supreme Court justices' home, unpunished. Attacks on pro-life centers, unpunished. The two-tiered system of justice is clear and it's clear to the American public and the buck stops with the man in charge. That man is you. The actions of the DOJ are on you. The decline of Americans trust in our federal law enforcement is on you. The political weaponization of the DOJ is on you. Attorney General, I need a simple yes or no to the following. Just yes or no, because we don't have much time. Do you agree that traditional Catholics are violent extremists? Yes or no? 
Let me answer what you've said in that long list of... of I'm at, it's, and I'll be happy the, to answer all of those. Attorney but General, just, I control the time. I'm going to ask you to answer well, the you, questions you, I asked. You controlled time by asking me a substantial number of things. And and let I me didn't guess. ask you those things. I, I made a statement. The, Attorney will, General, through the chair, I ask you, do you agree that traditional Catholics are violent extremists? Okay. Answer I have no question. idea what your what the traditional uh, means here. The Catholics, idea, let me Catholics just, that go I to church. Your, may I answer your question? Yes, the idea no. that someone with my family background would discriminate against any religion is so outrageous, Mr. so absurd. Mr. Attorney General, it was your FBI your that did this. It was your FBI that was sending, and we have the memos, we have the emails, we're sending undercover agents into Catholic churches. Both I and the director this of the is, FBI the, have said the that we were appalled have said that we were appalled by that memo. So then you agree the that they're not extremists? We were appalled by that memo. Are they extremists or not, Attorney General? I think that... Are they extremists or not, Attorney General? Everything in that memo is Are they extremists or not? I'm asking a simple question. Say no if you think that was wrong. Catholics are not extremists. No. Okay. Uh, again, is, uh, is this kind of exchange uh, beneficial to anyone uh and uh the there was more uh, because uh jim jordan had his time of questioning uh, so did representative thomas massey but so did one of the most conservative members of congress in fact so conservative that he's thinking of leaving congress ken buck of colorado who really was very much worth listening to. We'll continue uh, with the grilling of Attorney General Merrick Garland and more coming up on The Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved show, uh, one of the things that uh, they have been arguing about during the uh, House hearings uh, led by Jim Jordan of Ohio, those House hearings uh, have, that basically are interrogating and putting a great deal of pressure on the Attorney General of the United States, uh, Merrick Garland. The uh, Jim Jordan... Uh, leader of these hearings he has uh, had this to say about uh, what he believes to be the uh, political, politicized, uh, one-sided, unfair, and partisan administration of justice by the Attorney General of the United States and by the entire Department of Justice. Uh, this is Jim Jordan saying the fix is in. Listen. The fix is in. Even with the face-saving indictment last week of Hunter Biden, everyone knows the fix is in. Four and a half years. Four and a half years the Department of Justice has been investigating Mr. Biden, an investigation run by David Weiss, an investigation that limited the number of witnesses agents could interview, an investigation that prohibited agents from referring to the president as the, quote, big guy in any of the interviews they did get to do. An investigation that curtailed attempts to interview Mr. Biden by giving the transit team secret a heads up. An investigation that notified Mr. Biden's defense counsel about a pending search warrant. An investigation run by Mr. Weiss, run by Mr. Weiss, where they told 
the Congress three different stories in 33 days. Okay, the point was, and this was a part of the answer that was given by the Attorney General, uh, the David Weiss, the uh, now special prosecutor who had begun basically as a United States attorney, he was appointed United States attorney by Donald J. Trump. Uh, Donald J. Trump selected him to uh, begin investigating Hunter Biden uh, five years ago. And those investigations have been going on, and they have led to the indictments, uh, three of them, um, by, of Hunter Biden on the gun charges. He may face more and real problems. And uh, the idea that uh, this is somehow the responsibility of Merrick Garland, who came to the Justice Department after David Weiss had already been appointed and selected under Attorney General Bill Barr and under Donald J. Trump as President of the United States. Uh, there is more. Uh, Thomas Massey, representative from Kentucky, libertarian-leaning, he accused Merrick Garland of breaking the law of standing in contempt of Congress. It, it went this way this morning on Capitol Hill. This is clip four. The American public sees what these tactics are. Now I want to direct your uh, attention to a video here that we're going to play. Not an issue of classification. It's an issue of commenting on ongoing criminal investigations, which is something that by longstanding department policy we are restricted in doing. And in fact, the last administration actually strengthened those policies partly That's because... That's not our policy, though, and we fund you, so let's move on. I could, do you yes, know how... Indeed. So I'm not going to violate this norm of, uh, of, of uh, the rule of law. I'm not going to comment on an investigation that's ongoing. Peter Navarro was indicted for contempt of Congress. Aren't you, in fact in contempt of Congress when you give us this answer. This is an answer that's appropriate at a press conference. It's not an answer that's appropriate when we are asking questions. We are the committee that is responsible for your creation, for your existence of your department. You cannot continue to give us these answers. Okay, uh, the, the, these answers having to do with decisions uh, many of them that were made before Merrick Garland came to Washington, D.C. Uh, Eric Swalwell, the very partisan Democrat of California, uh, who with his own political ambitions, you may remember briefly he was running for president, which was a joke. But he displays two tablets at uh, the House Judiciary Committee hearing uh, showing a running clock of uh, Representative Jim Jordan's January 6th committee subpoena evasion. These were evasions of subpoenas, which is what they're talking about now, regarding the uh, select committee investigating January 6th that Jim Jordan chose not to respond to. Listen. Mr. Attorney General, my colleague just said that you should be held in contempt of Congress. And that is quite rich because the guy who's leaving the hearing room right now, Mr. Jordan, is about 500 days into evading his subpoena. About 500 days. 
So if we're going to talk about contempt of Congress, let's get real. I mean, are, are you serious that Jim Jordan, a witness to one of the greatest crimes ever committed in America, a crime where more prosecutions have occurred than any crime committed in America, refuses to help his country, and we're going to get lectured about subpoena compliance and contempt of Congress? Jim Jordan won't even honor a lawful subpoena? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? There's no credibility on that side. Okay, he's talking about Jim Jordan's unwillingness to testify uh, regarding January 6th. And uh, there's another point that's made by a Republican today. And, and again, Ken Buck has been impressive because you, when you listen to him, you can't tell immediately, oh, this is a Republican, this is a conservative Republican. Ken Buck is a member of the House Freedom Caucus. He uh, is thinking about leaving Congress, there are reports today, and taking up a, uh, a commentary position on television with Fox or with Newsmax or, frankly, with CNN. Uh, this is uh, Ken Buck addressing himself to the somewhat battered Attorney General of the United States, uh, Merrick Garland. Listen. You know what people would have said if you had uh, asked for uh, U.S. Attorney Weiss's resignation uh, when you became uh, Attorney General? Oh, I'm sorry, U.S. Attorney. Yeah, U.S. Attorney Weiss's uh, resignation. They would have said that you were uh, obstructing the Hunter Biden investigation that you were firing a Republican appointee so that uh, you could appoint a Democrat to slow walk this investigation um, and, and lose the leadership of that investigation. If you had made the same decision a year later because you were frustrated that the prosecution wasn't moving fast enough, they would have again said that you were interfering with the prosecution. If you, when uh, U.S. Attorney Weiss asked to become special counsel, if you had made the decision then to appoint someone else to special counsel, People would have criticized you because you would have been taking someone out of the investigation that knew the facts, that could lead the investigation, and put someone in who would have had to come up to speed on the investigation and wouldn't have allowed major decisions to be made until they came up to speed. Okay, that's Ken Buck, Republican of Colorado. Uh, we will continue on uh, all of this. Meanwhile, government shutdown coming up. And coming up, we'll talk about Iran and the Biden $6 billion deal with Iran. That and more on The Medved Show. Michael Medved show uh, yesterday at the United Nations General Assembly a uh, president uh, made a speech not the president of the United States his speech which was generally well received was basically about the ongoing struggle against authoritarianism and against Putin's Russia but there was another president who said the uh, U.S. was responsible for stoking the Ukraine war. And by the way, Israel walked out uh, during that part of the speech. 
the president who delivered that speech talking about the U.S. responsibility and how the uh, project to, quote, Americanize the world had failed. That was uh, President Ebrahim Raisi of Iran. Ebrahim uh, Raisi of Iran is in a celebratory mood because of the deal that was made by President Biden and his administration uh, regarding five American citizen hostages. They were originally Iranian. But uh, Michael Rubin is somebody who has known a great deal about Iran. He is a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. He has uh, lived in both pre- and post-war Iraq, spent time with the Taliban, and knows something about what is going on with the recently teetering government of the mullahs in Iran. Uh, Michael Rubin, uh, you don't uh, particularly like the deal made with Iran, where the United States has released $6 billion, that's $6,000 million of money to the Iranian government. What are they likely to do with that money? Well, first of all, I don't like that deal. And look, I've also, in the course of my career, met Ibrahim Raisi. Um, I've heard him speak. I understand his mindset based on uh, hearing him speak in, in not at the United Nations, but in other settings. Um, if you want to understand Ibrahim Raisi, imagine a Bolshevik, a communist in 1920s uh, St. Petersburg or Leningrad ranting and raving on the street corner. That's what Ibrahim Raisi is like. Now, when it comes to this deal, the problem with the deal, not only is it extortion, not only is it both extortion and a massive inflation and an incentivization to grab Americans in the future, but the Iranian economy is such that the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps basically controls it. If you want to understand the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps' um, business empire, and I say this without moral equivalence, imagine taking the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers merging it with Bechtel, Halberton, KBR, Northrop Grumman, Boeing, ExxonMobil, and Walmart. That's what it's like. And so this money is going to be pumped directly into the Iranian economy in a way where the Revolutionary Guard gets its hands on its first and can use it to subsidize further terrorism. Okay, and uh, Raisi said yesterday to the U.N. that Iran will never, never surrender its right to have peaceful uh, nuclear energy. Has there been a, an American response to that since uh, that statement was made yesterday? Well, there hasn't been an effective American response. Remember, not only is the $6 billion in uh, released money flowing back to Iran at a time when Iran is enriching far above uh, the limits it needs uh, for a civilian energy program. But the reason why there's such suspicion when it comes to Iran's nuclear program is because they've been caught doing things like engaging with warhead design and triggering devices for a nuclear warhead. None of that is how you power a coffee machine in the kitchen. Uh, this is why there's <laughs> such suspicion. And also, if I may, when, when you have uranium for a nuclear reactor, you enrich it to 5.4% enrichment. 
Medical isotopes are often around 20%. Iran is now enriched up to 60 or 70%. That's getting very, very close to the level of the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombs. There's no energy purpose or medical purpose for such enrichment. All right. Th this is very likely uh, a point that was brought up today. Today, uh, for the first time since uh, Bibi Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, was returned to power last December, uh, for the first time he met face-to-face -face with President Biden. And uh, is it uh, likely that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu brought up his concerns, which have been very passionate and very consistent over the years, his concern about uh, the nuclearization of uh, the Iranian military? Oh, I'm absolutely certain that Bibi Netanyahu brought it up, but the problem is that perhaps, and this is just the unfortunate nature of personalities, the ability of the Biden administration and Biden himself to hold a grudge uh, transcends perhaps a broader picture of what international security should be. And so I just hope that the Biden administration and the aides who are accompanying Biden can see the forest through the trees rather than focus on Benjamin Netanyahu, the personality, who fairly or unfairly they've just decided they, they very much dislike. We've got to get out of the mode, whether it's with Prime Minister Modi in India, whether it's with Mohammed bin Salman in Saudi Arabia, or whether it's with Benjamin Netanyahu in, in um, Israel, of allowing personalities to, to trump the, um, the, the security interests of the United States. And we've got to stop bashing allies and then giving adversaries $6 billion. Uh, yeah, and when you talk about the problem with personalities, I mean, part of uh, President uh, Biden's distrust of Bibi Netanyahu would probably have to do with uh, his speech to Congress some years ago during the Obama administration, where... Uh, uh, where Netanyahu was uh, uh, seeming to show a greater sympathy and understanding for the very pro-Israel slant of the Republican Party. I, I think that's a fair assessment, Mike, Michael, but you, you get, uh, I mean, I think what is actually at play here, because there was already animosity uh, within the Obama administration to Benjamin Netanyahu at the time, is the Americans get into a mode of um, believing their own spin. And once they believe their own spin, they don't want anyone to burst their narrative. <laughs> it isn't just Israel during the, um, with, with Barack Obama. If we go back to President Bill Clinton and the 1994 Agreed Framework, Bill Clinton gave the South Korean president at the time um, the Bibi Netanyahu treatment before there was a Bibi Netanyahu treatment simply because the South Korean president said this nuclear deal is a bad deal and, and North Korea is going to cheat. And you know what? He was right. And when it can, comes to Benjamin Netanyahu, the same thing is true. What's the proper response uh, at this point after this deal has been made? Uh, should we be negotiating for more hostages? Well, what I find unbelievable is we left um, hostages behind. We left Jimmy Samad. Now, most of the hostages who we ransomed were there, those who went under their own free will to Iran 
to try to conduct business, and they ran afoul of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps Mafia. Jimmy Samad, who is an American, lives in California, uh, was kidnapped and brought to Iran from the United Arab Emirates. There's no reason why we should be giving $6 billion and leaving someone behind. Uh, Michael Rubin, uh, you can read his very informed, very important and relevant uh, commentary on what has been happening in Iran. It's posted on our website at michaelmedved.com. We will be right back with government shutdowns. Really? Uh, that and more coming up on the Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved show, uh, there is a uh, some relief, I guess, because the Federal Reserve just announced that they are going to be leaving interest rates unchanged. What uh, may have been happening was perhaps they expected even a reduction in interest rates, and there's disappointment about that because the market, which had been up over 200 points uh, has now slipped back. It's uh, down 46 points, the Dow Jones, and the S&P down uh, 35 points, which for the S&P is serious. But um, meanwhile, part of what is going on when it comes to economics and Bidenomics which more and more looks like a an unmitigated disaster has to do with a government shutdown. And who gets help by this? Uh, there's a piece in Vox uh, that says it's that time of year. Congress is once more staring down a government funding deadline at the end of September. And today, September 20th, I mean, come on, it, we're, we're talking about very, very soon. And things are looking grim, says Vox. The threat of a shutdown is especially high this year, given Republican control of the House and a promise from far-right members that they'll reject funding bills unless their demands on issues like spending cuts and Ukraine are met. The stakes, a government shutdown, depending on how long it goes, could affect federal employees and services when the government shuts down, agencies are typically forced to furlough some of their employees while others work without pay. Additionally, there can be disruptions to key services like immigration courts, which makes the immigration crisis all the worse. Some food inspections, which probably won't do any wonders for food prices either. And facilities at national parks. Uh, Senator John Cornyn, uh, the one of the leaders of uh, the Re Republican caucus in the Senate, uh, John Cornyn of Texas spoke on the Senate floor about the prospect of another government shutdown. This is clip eight. Not a fan of government shutdowns. I've noticed from my experience that when that happens, the same problems that caused you to shut down the government are still there staring you in the face when the government reopens. And it creates a lot of collateral damage and a lot of collateral 
expense. It doesn't actually save money. It actually costs more money because of the disruption. And shutdowns harm innocent people and create needless uncertainty for our economy. Okay, uh, when he talks about it costing more, when people are not paid on time because the government has shut down, that costs more money. Uh, you have to make up not only what you didn't pay, but there are, in effect, penalties that are built into the entire system. The Wall Street Journal, again, no uh, fountain of uh, liberalism, uh, Wall Street Journal, the leading conservative publication in the country, uh, has a uh, an editorial today. It says, Hakeem Jeffries, that's the Democratic leader of the House, probably can't believe his luck. As House Democratic leader for less than a year, he gets to watch the Republican majority implode without having to do a thing. That's the story in Congress as House Republicans form a circular firing squad over the most basic of duties, passing an annual budget. As Montana Representative Ryan Zinke, a former Navy SEAL, former uh, Interior Secretary as well, put it in a visit to the journal offices on Monday of this week, quote, it's hard to govern when you have snipers inside the perimeter. He means fellow Republicans who are shooting at each other. The uh, essence of the problem is that too many Republicans have forgotten the reality of the current beltway balance of power. Republicans only hold on power is a four-vote majority in the House, one of the narrowest in history. Republicans don't hold the Senate, but they certainly don't hold the White House. This means that the only way that House Republicans can accomplish anything is by sticking together. If they can rally 218 votes to pass something, they have a chance to win policy victories. If they can't do that, they give the advantage to Democrats. It is really that simple. Uh, House Republicans have so far managed to pass only one of the 12 appropriation bills that will fund the government, uh, the one on veterans and military construction. Thus, Congress is careening toward a possible government shutdown at the end of this month, 10 days, when the current fiscal year ends. House Republicans can't even pass the defense or Homeland Security spending bills, which should be the easiest and contain many GOP priorities on military spending and border security. Recalcitrant members, uh, snipers inside the perimeter, are demanding that somehow the House cut even more spending than the debt ceiling bill stipulated. That debt ceiling bill that was passed uh, last time when they were facing another government shutdown over the debt ceiling, but they had that extended. Right now they're trying, they're struggling to try to extend the operations of government until the end of October. I mean, we're not talking about a long-term solution at all. And uh, because it's so impossible to find even a short-term solution, they uh, are looking away. 
Uh, there are members of the Republican caucus who are willing to shut down the government, writes the Wall Street Journal editorial board, willing to shut down the government to make their point, which is the equivalent of holding your breath until you pass out, or actually until you die. Conservative and moderate factions worked out a spending stopgap bill that cuts overall non-defense spending by 1% from 2023 levels to keep the government running through October 31st. But even that seems to lack the votes. We'd be happy to support spending brinksmanship if it served some achievable goal. But taking responsibility for shutting down the government is a sure political loser. The party that seeks a shutdown is always the party that's blamed. The result in this case would likely be even more spending as Republicans need Democratic votes to reopen the government after it's shut down and Democrats will demand something for it. The GOP will get few, if any, policy victories. This is all so obvious, writes the Journal. So Civics 101, that it's amazing to watch grown men and women who ran for Congress refusing to get it. Too many Republicans apparently come to Washington these days mainly to blow things up and count their TikTok followers. Some backbenchers point the finger at Mr. McCarthy and this or that promise he supposedly made in order to become speaker. But who is their alternative to Kevin McCarthy? Is it Matt Gates? The kamikazes might be able to depose Mr. McCarthy, but then they'll turn around and shoo up the next unlucky person who takes the job. Republicans narrowly won the House in 2022, tw promising to rein in Democratic spending excesses. And they have. But they lack the votes to significantly change the direction of policy. To do that, they need bigger majorities, and they need to win control of the Senate. There's actually breaking news on that that's very encouraging to Republicans. We will get to that in a moment. But they conclude this editorial by making the point on their current path, Republicans, uh, however, and if they shut down the government, that would be a stupid, futile gesture. All they will have done is to make it easier to turn the gavel over to Speaker Jeffries. Uh, this is um, a, an extraordinary failure of perspective uh, because the perspective is necessary and the most important thing in this editorial that I just shared with you is the inability to recognize when you have a four-vote majority. You can't afford to lose anybody. But it doesn't mean that the 20 people who are shutdowners uh, actually should be in control. There needs to be some cooperation of people across party lines to try to protect the government, the economy, the future of this greatest nation on God's green earth.